Well, there's a story told about a boxer who was converted. He'd come to faith in Christ. He'd given up boxing and he'd become an evangelist. And so he's gone to this town. He's setting up the tent, the tent revival sort of situation. He's setting up the, 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 the chairs and the building. And in comes this group of young punks into the tent just to stir up trouble. And they start berating him. And one of them slaps him on, on the left cheek. And he turns the other cheek. And he slaps him on the other cheek. And the boxer says, I have no further instructions from the Lord. <laughs> Sometimes we think that turn the other cheek means avoid all fights. Never put up a fight. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. Certainly we're not to be taking revenge and we're to leave that to the Lord. But they are things worth fighting for. Many people enjoy a good fight. Some of us were raised in less than honorable circumstances. But we watch fights on TV. We grew up fighting. Most of us have, have engaged in at least word fights. Sometimes we're on the right side. Other times we're on the wrong side. Even if we don't admit it. But some things are worth fighting for. Some things we are commanded to fight for. To defend others. It's right to defend country and freedom. We thank you for that. But in our text today, we see another kind of fight. It's a gospel fight. It's a fight for the gospel. So this text is about fighting and it is about a righteous fight. A fight worth fighting. See, some fights we can win or lose, but not this one. Lose this one and we lose the gospel. And praise God, it's not just up to us and our strength. We fight in His strength, in love and gentleness. I don't know any other fight I've ever had where I fought in love and gentleness. But, you know, in gospel fights, we're to fight with respect and love and gentleness, but we're to be faithful and sometimes we're to be firm in defense of the truth. The church has always been called to fight against drift, spiritual drift, against heresy making its way in the church. And we'll see that in the text today. And we'll see sort of the first council where a, 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 an error, a heresy is being brought forward and the church has to deal with it. What we'll see in this text today. And there'll be many more times. In fact, I'll say it later. The history of the church is a history of fighting for the gospel. But how do we get here? Because Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, they left on this first missionary journey and they, they ha they've gone through Cyprus and up in, they're going up into what's modern day Turkey and John Mark decides he's had enough and he peels off and leaves. And they go up into, they've gone through Cyprus and up into Turkey through, through cities like Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derby that we've talked about. And Gentiles are coming to faith. Gentiles are believing in the Jewish Messiah. They're believing the gospel. And evidently the word gets back to Jerusalem. That Gentiles are coming to faith. But horror of horrors, they're not circumcising them. They're not keeping the law of Moses. So somebody decides to dispatch themselves or are dispatched onto the scene. And after this first missionary journey where they've left Antioch in Syria, they've gone all the way out up through modern Turkey and back down through and back to Syria in Antioch, which is north of Jerusalem. 
They're, they're back there. They've been there for some time. They reported on everything that God had done through them. And they're enjoying fellowship and life together in Christ. And then these other people come in and stir up trouble. So that's where we are. We're right on the tail end of the first missionary journey. The gen- a, mass, a mass of Gentiles has come to faith. They're not being circumcised. It's creating some confusion in the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And so there's a conflict now over circumcision, over the gospel. And that's what we'll talk about. But what we see in this text, what I want you to take away from this text as we look at the circumstances involved and what the word says about it, is if the gospel is to be preserved, we must be willing to fight for it. If the gospel is to be preserved, we must be willing to fight for it. Because there are forces at work that seek to change the gospel every day. So if, we're gonna, if it will be preserved, and it has been, we must be willing to fight for it. Look first at changing the gospel. We'll talk about this a little bit. We'll talk more as we work through chapter 15. But we'll talk a good bit about it today, and there'll be a good bit of reading. So sit up, wake up. Focus up, and uh, we'll look into the Word today. But the first thing, look, changing the gospel. In verse 1 and verse 5 of just those five verses I read. Some came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. So they've come into the area where Gentiles have been converted, and they're starting to, to, to teach, and they're teaching the brethren, the church that has come to faith, that has been established, that we saw in the first missionary journey. They're teaching, unless you are circumcised, According of the, to the custom of Moses, which, you know, through the Abrahamic covenant into the Mosaic covenant, it said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then you see it again after they go to Jerusalem and they're reporting on what's going on. You see it again in verse 5. Um, some of the believers, now this is worthy of note. Some of the believers um, who belong to the party of the Pharisees, wow just like Paul Pharisees who were in opposition now at least are claiming faith in the Messiah they don't have all their theology worked out they don't understand the new covenant they don't see the progression and the fulfillment but even even there in Jerusalem as the church is gathered and they're debating and talking about these things and working out what is the truth about these things some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees said it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And this, as we will see, is an assault on the gospel. It's an assault on the gospel. But first, what is the gospel? We dare not assume everybody knows what the gospel is. The gospel is not be good and God will love you. The gospel is not be nice to people and just call on God when you need Him. and Otherwise, leave Him alone. Do good, be good, you know, no, it's none of that. The gospel is Jesus and the salvation that is in him and, and attached to the gospel, how we receive that salvation. So kids, you all probably know this verse, John 3, 16. You've heard it, right? You're raised in Christian homes, you know, don't, but sometimes don't become c- contemptuous of that which you become very familiar. This is really good stuff to, to, to memorize, to meditate on, to think about. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, or in this way He loved the world, that He gave His only Son. There's so much there. 
There's so much there. He gave him to live. He gave him to die. He gave him to be raised. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. God sent his son to save his people. We are not our own saviors. It doesn't say whoever's good enough, whoever cleans up their act, whoever does the best he can do. Whoever's sincere. No, it says whoever will turn from everything else and believe in God's Son. Whoever will trust in Jesus. Even that's a gift from God. Will not perish. Will not suffer eternal condemnation, which is what we deserve. But have eternal life. So the way to eternal life is to believe in Jesus. Because God has given us his son. Even Jesus said he's teaching the disciples, and this is an amazing statement. We talked about it a little bit Wednesday night in John 5 24. Truly, truly, whenever you see that, I mean, I mean, he's, he's giving emphasis to something. He's saying, perk up, open your ears. I'm telling you something important. Watch this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Present tense possession. If you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you have eternal life. Now. He or she does not come into judgment or condemnation, but has, you could put already, but has already passed from death to life. If you're believing in Jesus, by God's grace, you've come out of death into life. You have eternal life through faith in Him. Notice Jesus didn't say, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me and is circumcised or is baptized or fill in the blank. No, it's through faith and faith alone in Jesus. <clears throat> How about Paul? If, if the guy involved in the dispute, if he would just tell us what the gospel is, that would help a lot, right? Why is he getting so... Well, you know what he did. 1 Corinthians 15. He says this. I would remind you, brethren... That word brothers is generic for brethren or male and female there, the church. I would remind you, brethren, of the gospel I preached to you, okay? Which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So this is the gospel. We, we believe and are saved. We trust in Jesus. Not just believing a set of facts, but we believe the facts so that we trust in Jesus. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus, that he lived, he died, and he was raised. That's the good news. That's what we believe and are saved. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, same person, Paul, used to be Saul, wrote, wrote the book of Ephesians as well. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith. You could put alone there. There's nothing else listed. By grace alone, in, by, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You didn't come up with this. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Very important. Not a result of works. Not a result of your works. You cannot work your way to salvation. Our works are the problem, not the solution, if you want to tweet. 
don't. The works, our, our works are the problem. It's a gift of grace. We are saved through faith, trusting in Jesus, period. And that salvation he's talking about there is our justification, our being made right with God, our acceptable to God, God declaring us righteous through faith on the basis of his son. But you see, it's by grace, it's alone, through faith alone. And there's nothing else on the list. It's not a mixture. Baptism never saved anybody. Circumcision never saved anybody. They are signs that point to spiritual realities. And see, the church in Jerusalem, at least a segment of it, hasn't gotten that message yet. They, they are still stuck. In the Old Covenant, they're still stuck. In the Abrahamic Covenant, they're still stuck in the picture versus the reality. And to some sense, you can understand that. So what is the issue then? If the Gospel, Paul's made the Gospel clear, it's faith in Christ, not of works. We don't work for it. We receive it as a gift. Faith in Jesus who died for, lived for us, died for us, and was raised from the grave. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer said, Paul said, be circumcised and you'll be saved. Be baptized and you'll be saved. No, baptism came after. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be delivered from condemnation which you deserve. You'll be forgiven for all of your sins if you trust in Christ and in Christ alone. So the issue uh, is these are people that we would call, this is not a biblical term, Judaizers. They're, they're, they're sort of summary messages that in order to be a Christian, you have to become a Jew. And you have to keep all, you know, the Old Testament. Um, you have to be circumcised and, and all of that. So Judaizers came from Jerusalem and they taught that you must be circumcised and keep the law to be justified. And that is the problem. They're saying Gentiles must become full Jews to be saved. And this is, you can understand to some extent why this is hard, right? I mean, this is hard transition for the Jews. This is a difficult thing. Because think about it, at this point, the only Bible they have is what we call the Old Testament. Now they have the tradition and teaching of the apostles who are there, but not all of that has been written yet. So it's difficult for them to see, and they have to be taught and have it explained to them, and they have to come to that conviction because this the the way has always been when gentiles convert they see convert to judaism they're they're circumcised i'll leave you to explain that to your children <laughs> look at back let's let's read a little look at genesis 17 go to the first book in your bible chapter 17 just just a few verses but Show you why this was such a serious issue to the Jews and to the Pharisees. The Pharisees' goal, at least, they didn't do it very well, but their goal was to, to honor God and keep His commandments, to keep His word, and to keep it pure. So, sort of the way they were founded. But it says in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, this is where circumcision comes from. 
When Abraham was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and said to him, Behold, my covenant. God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. You know, through him all nations will be blessed. Talking about the gospel uh, in, in chapter 12. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring throughout their generations. Now watch this language. For an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. The fulfilling of the covenant in Christ. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring the land of your sojournings, the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Notice there's a lot of words. Everlasting is one of them here. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. Now, how? This is my covenant, which you shall keep between you, me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be, watch, a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. That's where the eight days comes from. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money or any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be, surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. You can see them waving the Torah around in the meeting and reading that and saying, Look, this is why. Because it's the sign of God's covenant, which no longer is by this time, but that's another baptism, but that's another sign. But this has been fulfilled in Christ. The promises are to Abraham and his seed, which is Christ, Galatians says. So now circumcision has been fulfilled and done away. It's fulfilled in regeneration. The new life, the new heart that we get through faith in Christ. But they're saying, no, Gentiles have to, in order to be in the covenant and to keep the covenant, they have to be circumcised. And Paul and Barnabas is saying, no, you don't understand. We're not under the Mosaic covenant anymore. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we're under the new covenant. And you get a full explanation of that in Hebrews. If you want to, Hebrews, I believe, is Paul's theology through the pen of Luke. So if you want to get a real full explanation of that, go read Hebrews and you'll see Christ is superior to Moses. His covenant is superior. His priesthood is superior. The old covenant's been done away. New covenant's been established. And we see in the new covenant, converts are baptized. But no one has to be baptized to be justified. And certainly no one has to be circumcised to be justified. But the Judaizers are failing to see the fulfillment in Messiah. They're failing to grasp and understand the new covenant. They are therefore polluting the gospel with works. And that's why Paul got so exercised with them. And you can see 
Paul's, if you want to read his full, in fact, I'll give you this as homework. When you go home, it won't take you very long. Read Galatians. Galatians was probably written before the Jerusalem Council. Otherwise, surely he would have mentioned it in Galatians and the decision that was made. But go read all of the book of Galatians. I'm just going to read a little bit of it to you so you can see how Paul is arguing. The law is fulfilled in Christ. The Mosaic covenant is done away with. It. No one is justified by keeping the law. We see that in Romans chapter 3. On and on we could go. Circumcision is a matter of the heart in chapter 2 in Romans. If you bring any, Paul's, Paul's argument though is if you bring any works of the law into the gospel, here circumcision, you lose the gospel entirely. And you're obligated to keep the whole law to save yourself. If you're going to go back and take any element of the law to, that you need for justification for acceptance with God, then under the Old Testament law, you had to keep it all. And so you're, you're rejecting the gospel. You have to keep the whole law if you're going to adopt part of it for justification. Look in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. So I am astonished. Paul, Paul is very rarely harsh in his letters. I mean, look how gently he talks to Corinthians in the first of that book. And you know that was a messed up place. If you don't read 1 Corinthians, then you'll know. But here he's hard because the gospel is at stake. Look what he writes in Galatians. And Galatia is, Galatia is in the middle of modern day Turkey. That's where they went on the first missionary journey. So he's writing to counteract the false teaching of these Judaizers who have come in and are teaching wrong doctrine. And Paul says in Galatians, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Notice if we change the gospel, it becomes a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now watch this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. There's a whole religion that has a religion based on what an angel told them. Mormonism. It's really all just made up stuff by Joseph Smith, but that's another day. <clears throat> As we have now, anytime in the word it repeats something, it's really nailing it down and emphasizes it, right? As we have said before, so I now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary than the one you received, let him be accursed. If an angel comes into your room and starts proclaiming in the light and it's going to freak you out and he starts telling you a different gospel than the one that we have outlined here this morning, the one that Paul was preaching, the one that the word preaches, R.C. Sproul says you are to take him by the seat of his ethereal pants and cast him back to hell where he came from. If an angel denies the gospel, he's not a holy angel. He's a fallen angel. There's only one gospel and it is to be kept pure. And if you try to add to it, you turn it into a different gospel. One that is to be rejected and people who preach it are to be accursed. That's why I get so exercised sometimes when people who are claiming to be followers of Christ who are either not preaching gospel at all or preaching a different gospel. And focusing people on health, wealth, and prosperity and greed instead of Christ and denying self and following Him. 
In, in chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul said, uh, he says this, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify to you, every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. It's not a cafeteria thing. You can't go back into the Old Covenant and pick one portion out that you're going to do. Leave the rest off. If you're going to take one point, you're going to keep all of it. And you can't. You would be lost. I testify to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You, you, now watch this. He tells us what he's talking about. You who would be justified by the law. You who would try to be accepted by works. You have fallen away from grace. When you try to include works or anything else besides faith into what makes you acceptable to God. See, faith is just the hand that receives the gift. Faith is what connects us to Christ. Trusting Him. Then His life is our life. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. We have been cleansed from our sin. We've been clothed with His righteousness. We have a new heart and the Holy Spirit living within us. We've been raised to newness of life. All through faith in Jesus. You say, well it can't be that easy. Well you don't have to argue with God about that. Because He said it is. You're demeaning the death and burial and resurrection of Christ when we say things like that. See, they're going, these teachers are having an understandably hard time. They are, they are, they will be taught and will come to a righteous conclusion in the Jerusalem Council. We'll see James, sort of the head of that sect, that not sect, but that section of the body, um, come to the right conclusion. They will move away from what the Judaizers are teaching and send out a letter that comforts the Gentiles. They will hold to the gospel, in other words. But that holding to the gospel came through a fight, through an argument, through a discussion, through having to work through it. And so when we will stop with talking about that, we'll talk more about circumcision and stuff as we move forward. But we see that if we add to the, any works to the pure gospel. We pervert it and we lose it. That's why we have to fight for it. And we'll talk more about fighting for it in a minute. So we have to fight for it. Sometimes we try to be good and we add our goodness to the gospel and that makes us acceptable. And that's one way we pollute the gospel. And then just I'll mention this quickly. Another way we pollute the gospel is by justifying sin with it. Just become flippant with sin. Right? God's gracious. Some, pe some people even plan to sin because God is gracious. I'm going to do this and then I'm going to ask for forgiveness because this is what I... That's presumption. That's wicked. It's not gospel life. But Jude said this. I'll just give you this quote from the book of Jude and we'll move on. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to appeal to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered for the saints. Why? No, what he said was there is in verse 3. He, he's appealing to you contend for the faith or to fight for the faith. To fight for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Why? For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. 
ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So there's another way to pervert the gospel is to use it to excuse sin or to rationalize sin. And we pervert it by adding works to it to make us acceptable to God. I just wanted to mention that and I'll move on because that, that was kind of a, it was implicit, but it was kind of a sort of a mindset in, in recent hyper grace movements. Won't go into much of that. But if, if I'm thinking lightly of sin, I need to delve into the gospel more. Because I haven't rightly understood it. Sin is my enemy, not my friend. But okay, let's move on. In verses 2 to 4, quickly, we see Paul and Barnabas. They've had a dissension. They're in Antioch of Syria. There's this thing going on between the Judaizers and Paul and Barnabas. The church meets and discusses it there in Antioch. And they say, well, we're going to send this issue to Jerusalem because the apostles are still there. We'll see what they think about the situation. We're going to send it there and see if they can come to a decision because we're obviously getting nowhere here in Antioch. So the whole church is getting involved in the discussion. And in verse 2 it says, After they'd had no small dissension and debate, they're fighting for the gospel, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So they're going to Jerusalem, and we'll pick that up in verse 6 next week. We see that as they go toward Jerusalem in verses 3 and 4, everywhere they go through, they're reporting about how God has worked among the Gentiles in their first missionary journey. Everybody's being encouraged and strengthened, uh, even in Jerusalem. And then they have to discuss this, this, this circumcision matter. And we'll see how they discuss it as, they, as we move on. But the apostles and elders of the church will gather to discuss and decide according to Scripture what the answer is. They will fight for the gospel and come to a conclusion. But more next week. But as I said earlier, we'll just think about a couple of points of application will we'll be done. But I said earlier, and think about this, the entirety of church history, the entirety of the history of the church is proclaiming and fighting for the gospel. Many have fought to the shedding of their blood for the gospel. Many who claim to be followers of Christ have martyred others. But it was all about, it was about the gospel. See, error and heresy Constantly pops up. It's like whack-a-mole. Right? And it seems never-ending. God will put an end to it. But error and heresy pops up. It makes headway in the church. And then the church meets to discuss and compare Scripture. And the truth is preserved in writing. That's why I warn you so often, just because something is old doesn't mean it's worthless. I mean, you'd have to put the Bible as worthless if that's your thinking. Confessions and creeds and, and outworkings of church councils, the good ones anyway, are valuable to us. You see the church working through problems, coming to conclusions about what does Scripture teach? And that was always the question in the good, in the good councils. A good, a good catechism or a question and answer set, a good confession is simply summarizing what Scripture teaches. And the results of good counsels are simply summarizing what Scripture teaches and pointing out error. I'll just give you a few. The Council of Nicaea in 325. One of the things that happened there was the deity of Christ was 
protected. The deity of Christ, the doctrine of the deity of Christ wasn't invented in 325. It was proclaimed and protected. Why? Because this guy named Arius was rising up with a different doctrine. And the Arians were teaching that Christ was not God. And you can talk to modern day Arians. They'll come to your door. You know who they are? There's nothing new under the sun. Jehovah's Witnesses. A lot of fancy language. They'll even call Jesus a mighty God, but not the almighty God. He was the first and greatest of God's creations. That comes straight from Arius. So what the, the, the church would do is gather, they would hear this teaching that's going through the church and then they would compare it to Scripture and then they would make pronouncement as to what the truth was and consider some things heresy because they didn't match with Scripture. And Arius was considered a heretic. There's so many more. Uh, Constantinople, the deity of the Holy Spirit was protected. Not invented, but protected. Right? Taught and protected. In Chalcedon, the two natures of Christ, that's in 451, were protected and taught, not invented. The church didn't invent the Trinity when it was just, were, they were putting forth what the church had taught, comparing it with Scripture and comparing it with the error and coming to a decision on the truth. The gospel must always be protected. If you lose the deity of Christ, you lose the gospel. If you lose the deity of the Holy Spirit, you lose the gospel. I mean, that's another thing Jehovah's Witnesses, which is really fuzzy and weird. The Holy Spirit is just God's active force, but not a person. And certainly not God. Twilight Zone stuff. But that's what they teach. Right? You lose the Trinity, you lose the Gospel. Certainly you lose the two natures of Christ, you lose the Gospel. But anyway, those are other discussions. But I just wanted you to see that the, this, is, this is just not, this is not something that happened and ended. This is the, what the church has had to deal with down through the centuries. Is error pops up. Scripture is the rule of faith. So we compare the error to Scripture. We reject the error and stay with the Scripture. But see, you have to be willing to say somebody's wrong. And if you're going to be saved, and if you're going to grow in grace, you have to hear you are wrong sometimes. I don't... You, our current culture of people not being able to hear points that disagree and screaming and crying and hugging teddy bears and stuff. How are people to doing? But you need to get over that. You don't need a safe space. You need a true space. And to get truth and stand in truth, you have to hear others' opinions. And we have to, there's a word called repentance. <laughs> if we won't hear truth that challenges us and changes us, and we can't repent. The church was always willing to hear. Right? But the church was always willing to judge as well. That's another thing that's thrown out. There's so much silliness in the culture. Thou shalt not judge. You're doing it. Never mind. Now, when the Scripture says don't judge, it means don't judge hypocritically. Like the Pharisees did. Later, Paul commands us to judge. Do you know that? <laughs> Read 2 Corinthians. 
Judge rightly. Have discernment. Understand what the truth is. Listen to good godly teachers. You're going to have things raise up in your own heart that are not true. And you have to have Scripture change those. Or you'll be a Joseph Smith or another person who starts a cult and runs after their own, own heart. So the church has always had to protect the gospel and that's what we see happening in chapter 15 and we'll get more into that as we move through the council. We'll talk more about circumcision. What I wanted you to see today is you can't add anything to the gospel. You can't add any works to the gospel. You can't use the gospel to justify sin. But the gospel must be protected and fought for also on a personal level. You have to fight for the gospel every day you live. Because your default setting, just like mine, is legalism, self-promotion, kind of a what have you done for me lately. So you have to be reminding yourself of the gospel every day. I am acceptable to God only because Jesus lived for me. He died on the cross for me. He was raised for me. Nothing in me makes me acceptable to God. God's not impressed by me. I love you, but He's not impressed by you either. He's impressed with His Son. And if you are in His Son, you are forgiven and cleansed and saved and a new creature in Christ. If you're not in His Son, you're not. That's hard truth, but that's gospel truth. You have to be willing to hear it. See, your heart lies to you. It tries to bring works and it tries to get you to put your confidence in what you do. Or it'll accuse you and say, look how bad you are. How can you be a Christian? The old uh, story about Martin Luther, is there's an ink spot on the wall, so believe it if you want to. It talks about the devil coming to Martin Luther and accusing him of all the sins that he'd committed. And when the devil was finished, Martin Luther said, you forgot a few and gave him a whole nother list. And he said, now, right over the top of all of them, washed in the blood of Christ and get back to hell where you belong, devil, you know, that kind of thing. And threw an inkwell at the wall. But the point is clear. I am unworthy. Even as a Christian, I've never loved the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind. Never loved my neighbor as myself perfectly. Never perfect in thought, word, and deed. Always dependent on Christ. So I want to be hidden in Christ. And my confidence better be Christ. Looking to Christ. So you better fight for the gospel in your own heart. You better be in the word every day. And reminding yourself of the gospel. And trusting in Christ. And, and re being refreshed in the good news of His grace. In free forgiveness through confession in Him. Because it is Christ who saves us and it's through faith alone that we're justified and you better remind yourself of that. If you don't know the difference between justification and sanctification, you need to know that. Between coming to faith and be accepted and growing in grace, right? We are accepted only because of Christ. We have nothing to do. We receive it as a free gift and then we are to grow in grace by feeding on His Word and all the things He applies. So are you, let me just ask you, are you resting in Jesus? What do you mean by that? Is your hope for eternal life in Jesus? You know there's more than just this life. That's why we fear death. 
Are you resting your hope in Jesus for your salvation? Are you thinking you've been good enough or smart enough? or That road will lead to disappointment. He will say to all who are what he called workers of iniquity, depart from me, I never knew you. He says that in Matthew 7. But sinners find grace in Christ. Those who will trust in him and receive his forgiveness and his salvation. Are you trusting and resting in Jesus? I hope so. If you want to talk more about that, let me know. Second way, or another way we on a personal level fight for the gospel is by speaking it. To ourselves, I've already, you better know. Speaking it to ourselves and then to others. Listen, the only way people will know you're a Christian is if you tell them. There's no neon light up here. Follower of Christ. There's a story told about a young man who came to faith in Christ. He, he'd, he'd heard the gospel and he'd come to faith in Christ and he was so excited about it, he was telling everybody. And he went back to work and he even told his boss. And his boss said, that is so awesome. I've been praying for you to come to faith in Jesus. And the young man looked at him and said, you're the reason I waited. Because you're such a good guy and you do everything right. I thought it was possible to be a good guy and that good guys. Would... He said, but you never told me about Jesus. You just were a good guy. See, he didn't know why he was a Christian. People won't know why we're Christians or that we're Christians if we don't tell them. And one of the ways we, got, we honor Christ, He commands us to do it. One of the ways we grow is by speaking the gospel to others. We fight for the gospel when we speak it to others. And there's something funny about that. Have you ever experienced that? You grow through it. And, and, and when you, I remember as a brand new Christian witnessing to others and then getting so excited afterwards. Wow, things were coming out of my mouth. I didn't even know I knew. Right? And just encouraged by it. And we just kind of move away from that as we grow, I think. But we grow through proclaiming the gospel to, the, uh, to other people. And we fight for the gospel when we lovingly correct. Lovingly correct. Gently correct. Lovingly and gently correct the misunderstandings around us. If you're, in, you're around unbelievers at all, eventually you're going to hear some of this. Good works outweigh the bad. We compare ourselves with others. Think we're good. Or how about this? I do my best and God will do the rest. <laughs> no. How about this Bible verse? God helps those who help themselves. What chapter is that in? What book is it in? Gospel of Jeff. Please don't read that one. It's not in the Bible. Gospel truth is God helps those who can't help themselves. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All need a Savior. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. Or you might hear something like, I like Jesus. He was a good teacher. Well, he was a good teacher, but he's way more than that. He's either a Lord or he's a liar or a lunatic. How about this one? Jesus is not the only way. I'm happy for you. I'm glad that worked out for you. But I'm walking my path. And listen, don't look at them and say, yes, straight to hell. But, <clears throat> but help them understand that there's only one way. And that's through faith in Jesus. 
Jesus is the only way. How do I know? Because Jesus said so, and He was raised from the grave. The only one that ever did that, proving it was all true. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No person comes to the Father except through Me. That's hard to say to your unbelieving friends, isn't it? Because we live in this post-postmodern culture. Truth has been, there's no objective truth. Everybody's way is right. Nobody can hear things they disagree with. How about this? Only good people go to heaven. Nobody's there if that's true. Jesus said himself, only one's good and that's God. Do you know what you're saying? See, we fight for the gospel because we, Jesus has fought for us and has given. It's not us. It's not because we're smart. It's not our truth. It's not arrogant to claim I have eternal life because it's not based on me. It's based on Jesus and his promises. It's faith. It's humility to trust him. Our culture is going nuts because they've rejected God. And we are His emissaries in the midst to be light and salt. And we're to fight because, listen, I'm done. Jesus, We fight because He fought for us. Jesus came to save His enemies. He entered into our mess. He fulfilled all righteousness for us because we haven't. He died to pay the penalty for our sins and satisfy that penalty because we couldn't. He was raised from the grave the third day proving it's all true and He offers salvation to you as a Free gift wrapped in a bow. And you simply receive it. You trust Him. Save me, Lord Jesus. I trust in You. The tax collector, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Paul to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the gospel we have to fight for. That's the gospel we have to protect because it's the good news about our Savior, our King. Who came to save us. He loved us when enemies. He lived for us. Died and was raised. And he is the champion. Preeminent for the gospel. He's with us. Never to forsake us. And it's really him that works through us. To protect and preserve. And proclaim his gospel. And he commanded. As in Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world. And preach the good news to every person. We fight for it. So don't turn the cheek when it comes to the gospel. Be willing to fight for the truths of the gospel. Fight for it in your own heart and fight for it with those around you. Let us go forth and fight for the gospel with His weapons, in the power of His Spirit, in love and gentleness, proclaiming His goodness and grace to save all who by grace will trust in Him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for you to, as the disciples prayed, increase our faith. Help us to trust you. Help us to rest in you. Help us to love you enough to step out for you. In our own families, in, with our own children, or with our own spouse, or in our own neighborhood or workplace, in our church, Lord, to encourage one another with the gospel. And out in the world, to be emissaries of light and life and salvation. Not to just be debaters and harsh and mean. But to be people who truly love our neighbors. Who truly serve them. And who truly seek to, to give them the good news of your gospel. I thank you for the 
what we've seen in the, the scriptures about the early church and about Paul and Barnabas who were willing to contend for the faith and preserve the gospel. And I thank you for all following in on their heels who have lived for you and died for you to, to preserve and protect and proclaim your gospel so much that your gospel has come all the way to this time, in this place, through your word, by your spirit. So help us to love and treasure you. Help us to trust and rest in you, Lord Jesus. Help us to have a passion for you, to live for you, to love for you to serve for you, to proclaim for you, and yes, even when necessary, to fight for you through proclaiming your truth. Protect us from all error. Establish us in your truth. Help us to trust in you and to live for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.